from the book of Philippians. We're going to start in chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 16 and uh, talk about what Paul writes to that church. Why don't you stand to your feet one more time in honor of reading the word. I think it's important in a culture that is um, doing away with honor that the church holds on to it. And there's certain things we should stand up for. Amen. Amen. And if we hold God's word as the final authority in our life, and his inspired word to us, I just think it's a good idea that we stand up. Philippians chapter three, verse one through 16, I believe. You can uh, see it on the screen or you can um, find it on the Bible app or on the Hope Community Church app. There's notes there as well. So Philippians chapter three, verse one, say a big old encouraging amen if you're ready. There you go. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee, as the zeal of persecutor of the church, as the righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's not that I've already obtained this, I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers who do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards a goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Father, we thank you today that through Christ you've made it possible for us to know you. We could be as close to you as we want to be. So we ask for that today, Lord. All the trappings of this world, all the success and failure and loss, joy, pain, the whole thing, God, we pray that as a result of us living and having faith in you, that we'd be closer to you this year. Help us do that. Make your word come alive to us this morning. Encourage us. And let the result be that we know you a little better. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated.
The book of Philippians is thought to be the last letter to a church that Paul wrote in his life. Um, it's also known to be the most joyous book, the most joyous letter. It's, it's full of rejoice in the Lord kind of statements. Don't be anxious, but rejoice, be, be at peace. All these things Paul is incorporating in this final letter he's writing it, there's some irony in the fact that this is a joyous letter because it was not written during a, during a joyous time in his life. Matter of fact, Paul is chained to a Roman jailer at this time with really no hopes of escaping. He is uh, up in years. He's accomplished a lot, but it is coming to an end. And yet he writes about rejoicing. It's also notable to to look at the fact that culturally at this time, Christians were being persecuted on a massive level that those of us living today could never even come close to imagining. Paul would have heard about Christians being fed to lions as entertainment by Nero. They would have heard of Nero burning Christians as torches to light up banquets. And Paul writes about joy, rejoicing. He starts out the third chapter of this letter. Let, let me back up a second. Paul, Paul visited the town of Philippi, the city of Philippi, uh, in his second uh, trip as a missionary. Him and a guy named Barnabas took a trip, and then uh, it was pretty successful, so they they visited a bunch of places, started a bunch of churches, so they decided to take another trip, and Paul and Barnabas had a bit of a disagreement at the start. Um, you know, it'd be like, it'd be like you and your family packing up the car and going, we're not taking the dog, and they're like, we're taking the dog. So Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement about a guy that Barnabas wants to take that ditched him at the first trip, a guy, a young guy named John Mark, and, and Paul says, I'm not taking him. And Barnabas says, well, I want to take him. And Paul says, well, you go your way with Mark and, and I'll take somebody else. So him and Silas end up going on their trip together in the opposite direction of Barnabas. And ultimately they end up in a place called Macedonia. But on the way there, they stop in a place called Philippi. And Paul ha spends about three months there and he has some pretty good success in Philippi. He wins some people to Christ. They start a church and he gets locked up in Philippi, actually. He delivers a woman from a demon and it caused an economic crisis to happen and they throw him in jail. Him and Silas are in jail and the Bible tells us in Acts 16, I think it is, chapter 16, in the middle of the night, Paul and Silas are singing uh, praises to God, singing hymns to the Lord in the middle of the night. And so, um, so something crazy happens. And all the, all the doors to the jail open up. Well, the Philippian jailer that's responsible for all this realizes that all the doors have opened up and he's assuming that everybody's left. And so the last thing he needs to do is, is he's thinking, I'm going to be responsible for this whole thing. I'm going to just end it. So right in the process of him getting ready to, uh, to end his own life, Paul yells out, hey, we're all here. 
We didn't go anywhere. Now, I, I want to let you know up front, I'm not as much of a Christian or a man as Paul. I would have I dipped out. Is it, do they still say that? I'd have rolled out of that place. I'd be like, Lord, open the door. He can take care of you. Paul stayed. As a result of him and Silas staying in the prison, that Philippian jailer and his whole family came to know Jesus. So when Paul's writing back to those people, and it's with a heart of joy, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a heart of love. So he starts this third chapter and he says, hey, I need you to be, he, he says something. I, I don't, it's not hard for me to tell you this twice. You ever, you ever tell us, this is the last time I'm going to tell you. Paul says, listen, man, I care about you. It doesn't, it doesn't pain me to tell you this again. I need you. I need you to. I need to warn you about a group of people that that are trying to influence the church, and you need to be aware of them. He calls them actually dogs. I think the proper term for them would be what we would call Judaizers. You, You have to remember. Paul is preaching the gospel not in an era like us, where there's been two thousand years between the death of Christ and where we are. Paul is preaching the gospel when it's a brand new concept to all humanity. So you have the people of Israel, the Jewish nation that has, that has served God under one type of, of government, if you want to say that. One, one type of mentality. For generation after generation, as long as they could look back. And Jesus came as the truth. God himself, we talked about that Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. God came to us. So Jesus came, died and resurrected. And dramatically forever changed humanity's relationship with God. So before Jesus... You would follow the law. You would have to do certain things, make certain sacrifices, accomplish certain things to be right with God. So a whole nation of people were used to that being the way. I'm I'm good because of what I do. Jesus comes, dies, resurrects, becomes the penalty for your sin and my sin forever. It's the last, it's the last sacrifice. Now, Paul's preaching that you're not good because of what you do. You're good because of who God is and what he's done. So, what you have to understand when you read scripture is, though, that there's a a transitional period before that becomes totally clear. So, you have all of Jewish history rolling into Jesus... Saying, my grace is sufficient for you now. And then going forward. Okay. Well, how many of you know change is difficult for some people? I'm not looking at any of you particular. But you've had that sweater for 15 years now. It's time to retire. Change is hard. Change is hard. 
So the church is blossoming in Philippi and Paul is warning them about Jews who are still saying, it's yes, Jesus, but you better follow all these rules. It's like, it's like you remember who you were before Jesus and then, and then, and then Jesus came into your life and there was a period of time where you were, where you were tempted to mesh the two together a little bit. Like, and I can still go to the club and get knocked out drunk and go to Sunday morning and love on Jesus a little bit. Man, this is a great life. When Paul's teaching the Philippians, they're still kind of in that middle ground where there's generational law following to accomplish righteousness in your life. And then Jesus comes and fulfills all that. What do we do with it? And so the church was being influenced by these people. They were saying, yes, well, well, Jesus did die for us, but you have to be circumcised or it's not real. Jesus did die for us, but you have to keep all the rules or it doesn't count. So it was this period of time where, where you had to, yes, accept grace, but still do all the right things or the grace wasn't enough. That would kind of make you a little crazy, wouldn't it? You're forgiven, but not really. Because you're forgiven until you mess up. And then you got to do something to make up for your messing up so you can be forgiven. But I thought he forgave me. He did, but you better keep doing this. And so that's, it's, Paul was saying, listen, at all costs, don't let this come into the church. Don't let this teaching keep going because it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he actually calls them mutilators of the flesh. He was saying, if you trust in circumcision as a salvation, it's worthless. It's like, it's just mutilating the flesh. It has no spiritual meaning anymore. Jesus fulfilled all the requirements to be able to forgive you of your sins. And there's nothing else that you need to do for that to happen. How many of you are glad we live on the easy side of grace? Whoo. So Paul says, hey man, be, be, don't, don't, don't let that come into the church. You're going to confuse people. People are going to be trying to, trying to live up to God's love for them. Come on, if any of you have ever tried to live up to something for God to love you, you know that's a, man, that's a rabbit hole you don't want to go down. Paul says, don't, don't do that. But then I'm, I'm fascinated. Paul does this several times in letters to the churches. He said, but if you would if you were to do that, my resume is better than yours. If you want to compare resumes, if you, if you did want to compare, if you did want to impress people, I'm more impressive than you. And so he goes down the list. It's, it's actually kind of funny the way he does it. And he does it in other places. He does it in his letter to the Corinthians. He, he does it uh, a couple times in letters to the churches where he says, yeah, we shouldn't have any confidence in the flesh. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be, be standing up to God going, look what I've done. Look how good I was today. Look, but if we were to do it, my story to him would be better than yours. Because, I, man, I've got all the right credentials. I've got a resume that you can't believe. You know what I found out? Impressing people will always be a temptation. Impressing people around you will all be, always be a temptation. And the danger in that, it always leads to trying to impress God. 
Because if I can impress the people around me, then there's that little sneaking suspicion that God might be impressed with me as well. God, after all, look, all these people love me. Well, you, you definitely have to love me now. Look what I did. So Paul says, okay, if you want to make a list, let's, we can do that. He says, though I, I myself have no reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So he says, I'm not going to count it, but if we were to count it. And then he goes on verse five. I was circumcised on the eighth day, not the seventh, not the ninth, but the eighth. Exactly when God said, make it happen. Isn't it ironic that Paul had nothing to do with what he was taking credit for? On the eighth day, Paul wasn't like, hey, dad, make it happen. I'm going to be right. There's a deeper meaning in there that oftentimes when we start boasting, we take credit for things that we didn't do. At the beginning of his list of accomplishments, it was something he couldn't even hold a knife at eight days. Much less circumcise himself. Wow. But that's where he starts. Hey, I started out better than you. Circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, which he had no choice. Of the tribe of Benjamin, which wasn't his idea. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law. Now, now we're going to get into his part. As to the law of Pharisee. He said, I was at the top of the heap. I was, in the, I was in the sect of people that kept the law as good as anybody on the planet could. I was with the people who did this for a living. We were good for a living. I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He said, when this new thing started coming out about Jesus, I was leading the pack against it. As to righteousness under the law, he was blameless. He said, if you've got a list that you want to compare, mine's better than you. It's better. Paul says, but I have no confidence in that. Is that impressive to people? Yeah, absolutely. And what I find, what I find myself doing is always having the temptation to try to impress people, which always then translates in trying to impress God. If I can impress the people around me, then God will be impressed with me. And then, and then, so we count things, don't we? We count, well, how much money did I make in 2021? How much, how successful was I? How, how, I, 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 I went to church more last year than I ever have. Did you see that? On, on, the, on the way out with the little, bu- with the little, with the little slot thing, Lord, I gave on my phone last year. I was generous. We start counting things. We start counting things. And I started, I started thinking, man, you know what? That's a rabbit hole we go down. How impressive was I last year? Now, now, Paul is not a young man. Paul is not inexperienced. Paul has done a bunch of stuff, started a lot of churches, seen a lot of people come to Christ. Paul was successful before Christ in every, every area that you could think about being successful in. He was approved of by the successful people. He comes to Christ 
And then he becomes successful for Christ. And he turns around at the end of his life and he says, impressing people is what I, doesn't mean anything. He said, I'm counting all that as loss. That is not a trophy case that I'm showing anybody anymore. None of it matters. All the people that were impressed with me, how well I persecuted the church. I definitely don't count that as a win. But then, but then even the things that I've done, I, I don't count. That's not how I'm counting life anymore. If I've impressed people, I'm counting it by the surpassing greatness of knowing God. All that stuff in comparison to knowing my creator doesn't even matter. Here's what I realized. We, we live in a social media generation where we can do a whole bunch of things that look, that look like relationships but aren't. We can, we can accomplish a whole lot of stuff that makes us look like we're close to people, but we're not. I, I told the first service, I can... I can, so some, some of you, uh, I, I don't really post a lot on, on social media. I'm trying to figure out how to do that. But There's times in my life where I don't want anybody knowing what I'm doing. I'm having fun without you. <laughs> and I like that. If I wanted you there, I would have invited you. But I didn't. So now I'm not going to tell you what I was doing. If I wanted you to know, I would have invited you. (laughs) So now I I have people in my Facebook feed. I don't even know how they got there. (laughs) Except, 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 except. And now I know random people who don't even live near me, what their kids eat for dinner and how many times they went to the potty. And if I saw him in Walmart, I wouldn't even say hi. I know a lot about him. I can see their accomplishments. I can see how well they've done or how poorly they've done. I can see, I can, I can pretty much gauge how much money they've made. I can, I can tell you how many vacations they've been on. And I am no closer to them than I ever was before they popped up on my Facebook feed. Their resume has not made me closer. Their accomplishments didn't make me any closer. What their kids had for dinner didn't make me any closer. What Paul's saying is, all this confidence in the things that we do doesn't make us any closer to God. He said, I'm I'm realizing, I'm realizing after all that I've lived through, that just stacking up a list of good things well, I've done this and I've done that and impressing people and it doesn't matter. I I think the richest guy to ever walk the planet, King Solomon, you take Jeff Bezos and Zuckerberg and and just, uh, just wrap them all together. That's King Solomon. Stupid rich. And if you read his writings at the end of the day, he said it's all meaningless. It never got me anywhere. He impressed everybody that walked in his presence. And at the end of the day, he said it was worth nothing. 
Paul sees that and he says, I've done all these things and I count them as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing God, my Savior. Now, now I need to make a caveat here. Don't think I'm telling you to be lazy. Oh, no. No, no, no. I'm trying to get you on the right, on the right side of the continuum here. Okay. Picture a, a, a timeline. Okay. Timeline. Jesus is in the middle right here. So Paul's saying everything I did before that I was doing to impress people and God. I was doing to make myself look righteous. I was doing it to make myself look good and, and be good. And, and that was the goal in my life to be good. And, 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 and I can make it and I can impress God and I can get God to like me. And because I checked all the boxes and I did all the right things, I was born in the right place, cut at the right time, all, you know, the whole deal. Then Jesus comes along And everything changes in Paul's life because now it wasn't doing it to impress God. It was doing it because God's impressive. So everything before Jesus, I'm doing by, oh, Lord, I hope he notices. I hope he notices. I hope somebody notices. I want people to like me. I want people to love me. And then Jesus comes along and out of his goodness to me comes these things. Wouldn't you rather have people doing things for you? Because they love you or because they were scared of you? Some of you are like, either way, bro, I don't care. Get it done. Paul's not saying, be lazy, it's fine. Paul's saying everything after Jesus was because of Jesus. Out of his unending love for me, I get up in the morning to serve him. Matter of fact, in his second letter to Timothy, he says that. Paul says that to Timothy. Study to show yourself approved. Not study so God approves you. Study as a result of him already approving you. See, it's totally different when you get up in the morning and say, I'm a child of God. He loves me. He's for me. He's with me. And he will be faithful today. And in light of that, I will go out and do the best that I can possibly do. Versus, oh my goodness, I think God might be mad at me. I better get up and go to work. Boy, that's a two totally different lifestyles. Paul said, I'm done with the old thing. I'm done with impressing people. I'm done with imp- trying to impress God. Everything that comes out of me now is because God has been good to me. God has shown his love and faithfulness and grace to me in ways that I can't comprehend. And so I get up every morning to honor him. Paul tells Timothy, do the hard work, study, do the right thing. Not to be approved by men, but because God loves you. So Paul's going, telling the church of Philippi that you have to forget the stuff that you thought that mattered. You have to forget it. Paul says this in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. He said, I'm going to forget that old stuff. I'm going to forget the stuff that never got me anywhere. I'm going to forget the stuff. God loves me. Paul realizes that none of his credentials or past accomplishments could bring him peace 
in his current circumstance. Man. I think I've asked you this before. How many of you have ever gotten to the place where you got what you wanted and it was a disappointment? Don't look at your neighbor. Some of you that'll sink in when you watch it next week. What if I could tell you that if, as long as you chase God, he won't disappoint you? You chase everything else. At some point in time, you'll be disappointed. Paul says, forget all that old way of doing it. Forget that. Forget and embrace how much it's worth to know God. Embrace that. Because at the end of the day, no matter how many accomplishments you could pile up, it may not bring peace into your life. You may not have any more hope than when you started. You may not have any more restful sleep than when you started. Paul's saying, if you want to know, if you want peace in your life, know the one that brings you peace. Put off all that old stuff and know him. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing him. He called it rubbish at one point. If you're chasing a thing instead of a person, you find out sooner or later what all of humanity before us have already discovered. It's less fulfilling. If you could line up everybody who has already died before us, And say, was it worth it? How hard you worked for the house. How hard you worked for the boat. How hard you, when you climb the ladder. What would you have rather done? Climb the ladder or known him more? Everybody who has ever taken a breath would pick the second one. Oh, I wish I'd have known him more. He'd have brought more peace into my life. I, um. I like working hard. I like accomplishing things. I like getting things. I like, I like having nice stuff. I was um, telling somebody the other day, uh, you work hard. I got, I got a, it's not a new truck, but it's a nice truck. I like it. And, and I've always driven older used vehicles, and I got this nice truck. And I, I thought, man, I got it now. I won't have to work on this thing. Easy, smooth sailing from here on out. You know a nice truck has a check engine light? <laughs> Came on the other day, I, I thought, I'll just drive this thing into a ditch. I don't even know what to do. I thought this was the fulfillment of vehicle purchasing. In a year and a half, a check engine light came on. Lay hands on a cast a demon out of it, came on the next day. Can I just say to you, if you're chasing anything other than God, you will be disappointed. There's no way around it. You will be disappointed. Paul says it's rubbish. Count it as lost. I'm not saying don't get up in the morning, go to work. Do it because God loves you. Do it. But do it chasing him. Do it because you have something to offer humanity. Do it because God put something in you. Not trying to just impress people. God is not anti-success, but he is pro-peace. 
And if the success in your life causes you to be without peace, it's not God. He wants the peace of God in your life that passes all understanding. And Paul's saying, whatever it is, throw it all away and chase him. That's where a good night's sleep comes from. So Paul said, I've got one big goal. So if anything this year, one big goal. Not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my, my own yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I'm going to strain toward what lies ahead. Press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want you to make this commitment this morning. Make 2022 a year that you know him more. And I need to say this, familiar is not the same as knowing. Uh, been married 25 years. We've been together 26 years altogether, 26 and a half or something like that. I've crested the part where I've been with my life, my wife longer than I've been with my parents. Success. I've been out of the house longer than I was in the house. You know what I'm saying? And I started thinking at the end of last year, right at the beginning of this year. I wonder if I could know my wife more than I do. We've lived in the same house 20 years. Get up in the same room for 20 years. Lay down the same bed for 20 years. Different mattresses, but you know. (laughs) Wow. Um. Walked out the same door for 20 years. I thought, I wonder if I know her as good as I could. And then my kids are becoming adults. They are adults. And any of you that have had kids transition from being a kid into an adult, you know they become different people. You thought they knew everything then. So then I started asking myself, I wonder if I can know my kids better. Because we're not, I'm not telling them what to do anymore. I wonder if I can know them differently because they're adults now doing their thing. I wonder if I could know them in a way that I haven't known them. And I started, I wonder, like I've got friends that I've, that, that we've known each other 30 years. I wonder if I can know my friends different this year, better. I wonder if I could know them better. And then it hit me. All those people are finite. They got limits. They, we all got limits. Uh, <laughs> and so there's, there's only so much you can know about somebody because there, there's only so much they'll tell you. But the Bible says that God is infinite. And there's nothing that he's not keeping himself from us. Matter of fact, it makes statements like this. His mercies are new every morning. Now, the reason that verse right there is so important, because it was written in a book called Lamentations. (laughs) God didn't have a sense of humor. Lament, lament, that's what that book is. It's a lament about the state of Israel. It's a lamentation. It's a lament. And in the middle of the lament, 
is the statement, his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And so I started thinking, well, I've been married a long time. Our mercies aren't new every morning. Sometimes we wake up with no mercy in the morning because we went to bed with no mercy. You're waking up with no mercy. You can leave me out here like this. Can't you say amen a little bit? At least chuckle. You got toddlers right now? Oh, mercy. How could you break everything? With our earthly relationships, it can be difficult to find the new stuff sometimes. Come on. We've been friends 30 years. I know everything about you. That's the way we approach it. And I started thinking this year, what if I approached it as if I didn't know everything about my wife? I'm not saying I'm going to try to figure everything out. But what if I went on a pursuit of knowing the people around me better? And then I, then it instantly went to, what if I did the same thing with God who promised me that he was new every, I could wake up every morning and know him more. There's no limit. I don't care if you lived 125 years, you could wake up in the morning and go, man, I didn't know. That was a new mercy today. That was a new thing today you did in my life. I haven't experienced you like that, God. I'm often fascinated how people can read the Bible for 70 years and say, I never saw that before. Why? Because it's not, a, it's not just an earthly person you're trying to figure out. It's an infinite God who wants you to know him deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And if you live to be a 300 years old, it's still potential to know him more. Noah, at the end of his 900 or so years, wasn't like, I got it all figured out. God is a vast universe to be explored. And I can't think of a better way to start a new year than to say, hey man, every day I'm going to know him a little more. Every day I'm going to know the people around me a little more. Every day I'm going to know the people closest to me a little more. Every day, I'm going to go, one goal, I'm going to go, all the old things I'm going to forget. And I'm going to learn new things about him. Amen. The band's going to come on with you stand to your feet. I'm going to leave you with some pro tips this morning. Life hacks, pro tips. This is extra. Now, I'm going to let you into some things that I wrote for myself. And then if they apply to you, so be it. I have a danger because I've been doing this same thing. I've been at the same church. We started coming here the year I was married. So about 25 and a half years. I've been on staff here 21 of those years. And um, so I got a little bit of reputation, you know, built up, a little success every now and then. Here's one of my goals for 2022. 
the one big goal. Here's how I'm bringing it down. Spend less time telling people what you know and more time finding out what they know. Just clamp down on it a little bit. Put another French fry and keep your mouth shut. Ask people what they know. Number two, focus less on your accomplishments and more on what God has done. Because if not, I'll start taking credit for what he did. Circumcised on the eighth day. Come on, Paul. That wasn't you. Sometimes I walk around telling people things that I didn't do. I might have got the credit for it, but I didn't do it. He did it. Focus more on what he has accomplished. I've already told you this one. Make a commitment to know the people around me better. And here's what I'm starting to realize. I may have to relearn how to get to know people. Forget all the old stuff. I may have to relearn how to get to know people. Relearn how to get to know my wife. Relearn how to know, get to know my friends. The number four, listen more to God. I'll be honest with you. I'm a guy that likes to pray fast, quick prayers. You heard me. Let's move on. Sometimes God wants to talk to me more than he wants to hear me talk. And I want to know him more this year. I want to get to the end of this year and go, man, I know God in a way that I never dreamed I'd know him. It's not a proximity issue. It's not a, it's not if he's in the room with you or not. He's here. He's always here. He's always with you. 